Welcome to the Horizon CI podcast with me, Mark Chillingworth. Change the people or change the people. Technology is the easy bit. Culture change is the real challenge. These are just two of the typical insights shared with me by leading CIOs and CTOs at the helm of major business-wide transformations. For a transformation to truly achieve its goals, it has to change the way an organization operates and in essence, how it behaves. These challenges are shared by finance, HR, procurement, technology and transformation directors, as well as project management offices. To bring a different and non-technological perspective to the UK's largest CIO podcast, we are joined in this episode by two experts in changing talent and HR elements of an organization. My guests in this Horizon CIO podcast are Jason West and Joe Ailes, the co-founders of Underscore Group, the transformation capability specialists. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on the Horizon CIO podcast. You have recently written a white paper on transformation and identified 10 areas that transformations need to achieve to be successful. Reading the paper, it struck me how these topics, sponsorship, problem definition, preparing the organization for change, requirements, a vision, method, capability, and a business case are the same challenges all the members of the C-suite uh, talk to me about all the time. Is that your experience that these, these 10 key areas are shared no matter what your, your role is in an organization? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks for inviting us along to the podcast. So uh, good morning, Mark. Um, yeah, it doesn't really matter if uh, we're talking about HR, finance, procurement, uh, any of the, the kind of the classic support functions uh, in an organization. When we look at the scoping phase uh, of a program, the work is actually still the same. So there's certain things that you have to do to really understand what it is that needs to change, um, define what that, that change is, and really understand where you are today and what the gap is between them. But it's something that um, organizations um, lack capability in, in, in a lot of cases. So um, if we think about the IT function, the, there's been what, 30, 40 years of, of experience in uh, really managing pretty major changes in the organization. But with the advent of, of new cloud and software as a service solutions, the, the accountability is shifting across to uh, the finance and the HR teams. Uh, and they, they don't have that, that track record. I'm certainly seeing ERP projects being driven by CFOs, uh, procurement directors, and uh, obviously talent directors bringing in uh, your work days and, and Salesforce team tools. And that, that very much ties in what, what, you're, what you're describing there, doesn't it? The, the approach is, is you know, it, it's, it's something every CIO would recognize, but the, these are kind of new skills, new, new competencies that uh, the, the, the other uh, members of the C-suite need to, to learn, but also they, they need to build the capabilities within their teams. You know, you still need to, you know, analyze data, you've got to identify risks and opportunities, you've got to put together a, a really meaningful case for change and build a business case and put a plan together to get you from where you are today to where you need to be in the future uh, and the you know with with the 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 advent of uh, of software as a service the 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 pace is so much faster than than a traditional on-prem sort of solution uh, and the, that need to make decisions really really quickly um, is is key to the success of the program yeah. so uh, it, it's something that you know uh, people coming from uh, a, a world where they've had a, an on-premise solution for the past 
five, 10, 15 years, it's barely really changed. Uh, there's there's no real demand on on the uh, on the the HR finance and procurement folk to really drive innovation. Yeah, because they just couldn't do it. Uh, the the technology didn't support it. So they 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 don't necessarily or they haven't necessarily had the uh, the wherewithal to to uh, drive the, you know a, a set of decisions that yeah. will get them to a better place, yeah. uh, and now you know they need to make decisions really really quickly. Mm. If I may, let, let's unpack your your white paper because there was a lot of really valuable information in there, and and, and it tied in with so many of the discussions I have at the forums that I'm involved in. Um, Let's begin with sponsorship. Uh, I'd be keen to know what, what in your experience, you, you've worked across multiple vertical markets, what makes a good sponsor? Uh, and then uh, what I'd like to talk about is how important is it for a non-technologist to be in charge uh, uh, of a technology change program, perhaps as a sponsor? The sponsor is, is the most critical role um, on a program. Um, this is the individual that is um, ultimately going to define what, what the transformation is going to achieve um, is going to define the vision, uh, is going to define um, that end state. So that the, it's, it's an individual that has to be close um, to the activities that are happening on the program, has to be very authentic, um, has to be inspirational, has to be a leader, and, and at times um, articulate something in the future that people might not necessarily see um, on the ground today. Describing the art of the possible. Absolutely. It would be useful just to, to make a point around sponsors. Uh, and that's that um, you know, this is a critical role that somebody has to play. And uh, in uh, the, the uh, far too many years now of experience of, of running these types of program, whenever you speak to a sponsor, nobody's ever described to them what this role actually is. Mm. And certainly, no, you know, it was a sponsor myself in previous lives, and no one ever gave me a role description and said, here you go, this is your role as sponsor now. Mm. And when you think about the risk to that individual, that CFO, that CHRO, they're taking on this major change. And whether they're doing it because they have to or because they really believe in it and they're driving it themselves, uh, they're, they're entering in this into this completely new world. Nobody's described what the landscape looks like, what, what they're meant to do, what they're accountable for, responsible for, and how to be successful. So it's perhaps no wonder that um, you know, quite a lot of transformations don't succeed. And I imagine it's quite difficult to do a, a solid job description because often a transformation program changes because of governance, because of technology, because of mm -hmm. personnel changes in the organization. Um, but in your report, you, you, you are very strong on the need for a vision. Is that kind of the, the, the key piece to give that sponsor is a vision and then maybe to give that, that sponsor some, uh, some opportunity to shape the vision? Is that your experience? Uh, the, the vision has to really come from the sponsor. They, they, they need to have that foresight of what the future state is going to look like. Um, but they can't, they, they can't be so set that it has to be this way. They can't be dogmatic about it, especially not during the scoping phase. They, they need to understand what the reasons are why we need to change, and they, they need to articulate that with real passion. Mm. And the vision does develop over time, but if they don't have an outline view of what this thing's going to look like, uh, it's a bit of a voyage of 
discovery and uh, you can end up in some very odd places. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, you need to build it up over time. But uh, I think the vision really has to mm. come from the sponsor, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Um, again, I've, we've seen in, in previous uh, projects or I've heard of previous projects where the, the sponsor doesn't play that, that role, doesn't have that um, vision, vision um, and um, plays more a role of an ambassador that's not quite close enough to what's going on. It's not really um, – their, their, their neck's not on a line um, as far as whether the program's successful or not. So they've got to have an absolute stake in the success of the program um, for them to be able to, to – to perform that uh, that sponsor role that Jason has just described. Yeah, uh, and interestingly, I was, I was chatting to a, to a business technology leader recently. They described how often they come across a scenario where businesses use a technology transformation to deal with an underlying business issue, uh, and then they went on to say this rarely deals with the actual problem. It just adds some technology yeah. to an organisation that's already yeah. got a complex structure. Is it important to define where the organisation is begin before mm. beginning a transformation, and how important? Is the data perhaps that you would use to define this problem? And then I'm guessing we're going to move back towards our, our vision statement. Absolutely. Um, uh, Transformation-led, um, uh, technology-led transformations, um, uh, frankly, rarely successful. You have absolutely got to look at, um, at the transformation holistically. You have to look at the people. You have to look at the process. You have to look at... Uh, but technology absolutely is, is, is very, very important. You have to look at policy. Um, you have to look at the capability of the business as a whole to adopt the transformation. So it's not just about implementing technology. In terms of that, you know, really defining what the problem is, I think what the exec often uh, will, will have a clear view on the, the macro level, the strategic view of, of you know, what, what needs to change, um, but they rarely have a handle on what, what the real detail of the problem is, often because processes aren't quite working, data structures aren't right, they're, they're struggling to get reporting out, so it's perhaps not surprising. So um, during the scoping phase of programs, we do quite a lot of work to quantify some some of these uh, issues, so that's uh, you know whether it's benchmarking uh, the processes that that uh, an HR function is delivering or a finance function is delivering, um, or really looking at how people spend their time. So the the business might say, you know what, the these particular functional areas or processes are really important to us as a business. You know, if we don't uh, manage our talent, if if we we can't invoice the customer, um, you know, effectively, uh, that that's a real issue so it's highly important and you know what we're not that effective at it today what's always interesting is when you look at those processes and you you do some analysis on it you actually go out you engage the business you ask their opinion you get their input about what's working and what's not working you then look at the function and understand well how much effort are we putting into delivering these processes today and, and often there's there's a negative correlation between what the business see is really important and the amount of time that's being spent on it. Not always, but you know, you can get these stunning insights when you actually start digging into the data and uh, uh, and really looking at it properly. Uh, the the unexpected always comes out of it. So actually analysing where you are today, not not getting too you know stuck into navel gazing, but uh, there's always the unexpected in there, and it's often the stuff that will absolutely turn a business case. Mm -hmm. 
you know whether that's you know what is costing us x thousand pounds to 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 deliver you know uh you know out on board a new supplier or pay an invoice or you know the people we hire leave before they get to you know six months service and you know that's costing us a huge amount of money and it wasn't known until you went in and actually really started looking at the data yeah and, and often organizations are just not asking the organization itself are they the questions and i, I regularly hear it said about do change with people not to them rarely do i see it usually it's it's uh, come from high on high uh, this is the this is the change we're going to make and it's not not been any true analysis of, of the impact uh, do you find organizations fail to understand the impact of a transformation and particularly you mentioned you know sort of what that will mean to the people on the ground who, who may actually be the people who could make a transformation succeed but if you lose them the transformation will fail yeah, I, I think there's the, the, we've seen it so many times. I think everybody listening will have, have seen uh, plenty of of projects that uh, I won't call them projects. Plenty of initiatives that you know <laughs> the first time they think about change is just before they go live and they need to train somebody on a new system or a new process. Yeah, um, and we're deep advocates of um, really planning the change during the scoping phase and and doing more than just communicating and training people. So really engaging a broad cross-section across the business, different business units, different locations, different countries, different functions, because you need that diversity of thought to really understand, well, what are the problems we've got today? Now, before you think about what, what, how we're going to solve these things, well, what are the problems and what's the impact on, on people in the business. And what does that mean? What does that mean financially, strategically? So going out and engaging people right at the beginning as part of the requirements gathering and, and building up the business case is essential. Hmm. Uh, it makes it far more likely the program's going to be successful. But I think that's what doing it with people means is actually engaging. Yeah. And uh, it's the biggest resistance we face, it, isn't it? It is, yeah. And often, very often, actually, the, the sponsor um, is is often afraid of, of engaging the business right up front um, yeah. with the fear of setting the wrong expectations about what programs likely to deliver or not deliver. And uh, what we always encourage is, is be honest, be transparent, that you don't know what you don't know. Um, you're going on a voyage of discovery at the very beginning of the program whilst you're trying to understand what business problems are you actually trying to solve. Um, and the only way to do that is by engaging, like Jason's described, a, a wide cross-section sort of, cross of, of, of people across the business. And the conversations I've had, interesting, three conversations in, in recent weeks were about the cultural differences. And I heard from uh, CIOs and CTOs who had to deal with Malaysia, Belgium and Sweden. Mm. And all three had found that messaging hadn't got through because they'd messaged the way that we in the UK email or, or collaboration tools. Yeah. And it didn't land in those countries. And actually, you know, getting getting on a train and going to those countries actually resolved the problem because people were like, I hadn't read the email. That's yeah. It. And I think that's, that's often the case is, you know, uh, a random email from somebody senior in the business isn't always the best way to engage and communicate with people. Yeah. There's a nervousness about um, really engaging line managers and you need to think about who's the best person to deliver this message to this person or this group of people at this point in time. 
there's certain things you want to hear from the leader of the the the, the organization or, or the function, absolutely. But you know what? Most of it you want to hear from your line manager because they're the people that you know and hopefully trust. Um, so actually really thinking about segmenting uh, the, the different groups of, of employees and managers and figuring out who's the right person to deliver a message, that takes time. And you need to th do that thinking up front as part of the scoping. Mm. Uh, you know, not leaving it to the very end when you need to, you know, get some people trained on how to press button B. <laughs> and, and on that sort of uh, finding the right people, sending the message, I mean, in the transformations you've been involved with, have you seen the use of mission statements uh, to help with that uh, and, and to filter down to those, those frontline people you're talking about? Uh, and are they beneficial? Yeah, I think, that, you know, sort of vision, absolutely. Um, so you need that, where are we going, that mission, um, you know, how are we going to get there? What, what's our, our enduring purpose, perhaps? Um, then, then yes, um, they can become um, a bit staid or um, uh, disingenuous even at the worst of times. Um, but, and that tends to be when you've got a very small group of people in a room locked in a, a corner of a building coming up with these things. Um, but if the the best way of doing it is is to have that outline view of where where you're going, and then engage broadly in in building up the the mission statements, the strategic objectives, uh, and design principles are another really key thing. And in those mission statements, do they require a degree of honesty of talking about what's going on in the market, what's going on in consumer behaviour, whatever those outer impacts on your organization may be that are, are sparking the reason why you've got to transform your operations or, or enter new markets? Absolutely. I mean, it's it had, they have to be genuine. If it's dis, if these are disingenuous, that you're going to, to turn off the organization. And actually, this is a good tool, a good vehicle, um, as we described earlier, to start driving some of the change agenda as early in the program as possible. Um, so that the business is starting to understand where you're wishing to take it, what the transformation outcomes are likely to be. And if you start that with a mission statement, and, and, and frankly, sometimes it can change, right? Because the unexpected happens. Um, and a different set of priorities, the business restructures itself, the business develops a, a new set of products. Um, and the program has to have enough agility through its life cycle to be able to to adjust to to the vision or or, or some of the, the 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 mission statements or and some of the design principles. So these are not fixed in in stone at the very beginning beginning of the program, but they're your sort of guiding light, your compass to where to where you're driving the program. So very very important. I also hear increasingly organizations talk of the need uh, of new capabilities and new skills. That's very much how you target what your organization, how important is it to ensure that the organization has the actual capabilities in its, in its people and its uh, abilities to carry out a transformation? Uh, should these capabilities perhaps be agreed upon by the leadership in your experience? So if, I, if we talk about capabilities in two, sen in, in, in two aspects, mm -hmm. Um, one is what capabilities are you trying to um, to get your your transformation to to achieve? Because it's, again, we talked about we, we mentioned earlier. This is not just about technology. This is not about just implementing a, a new bit of kit. It's about um, using um, a transformation program to change your processes, change your people, to change the ways of working. And with that, you may well have to to introduce a new set of capabilities into the organization that the organization does have today. So that's that's on the um, 
the, the transformation element uh, in terms of what capabilities you're trying to unlock in the organization. Then there's this, the, 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 an important point, which is a capability to execute the change, to execute the program, to execute mm -hmm. the transformation. Um, and, uh, and very often um, we find in, in many of the programs we, we're involved with um, that the, the right individuals aren't, uh, aren't put with the right skills, with the right capabilities, aren't put on, on, on these programs. These um, initiatives, these programs, these transformation programs are new. And uh, many of, again, often um, operational people in organizations won't have the capability, won't have the skills, won't have the experience that's required to deliver a, a piece of work um, that's probably, you know, six, 12, 18 months um, in duration. Um, and they wouldn't have had experience before. And all of a sudden, they're placed in a role of responsibility within the program um, that's requiring them to do fundamentally different things to what they're used to. One of your peers recently said to me uh, very uh, very aptly that often these, these programs end up attracting uh, perhaps the young, lesser skilled workforce because they're they're game. They want to. They want. They want the experience to to promote their own careers, and that's absolutely to be applauded. But where organisations often fail is giving them support and training so that yeah. they can execute, and then the program yeah. falls away, and then you have to bring in external specialists to to yeah. fill in the the gaps between the bricks, as it were. Have you seen that sort of scenario? Uh, absolutely. Um, putting in inexperienced individuals on, on critical programs is is is, is suicidal, really, for, yeah, for the, it's from not the sponsor perspective. It's not really uh, the right thing to do. Uh, putting in individuals with the right enthusiasm, with the right skills and the right ambition, I think in every program you have to have a mixture of... of um, of capability that you develop in-house because actually what you want to do is transform whatever transformation you're trying to to drive through you want that transformation to sort of be sustainable and so you want the capability of people within your organization to be the ones that are driving a lot of that and actually going to live with the consequences of what they've they've designed whether it's a process process a bit of kit whatever um, but you also need to to bring in skills and capability that you don't have in your organization and actually that the capability that you don't need longer term so you need to have a fine balance between the people that you're going to put on your program they're internal and they're going to live with it and you absolutely need to give them the skills um first uh, and and um support them with um external um specialist resource yeah. for specific pieces that actually do you know what they're not strategic they're not important for us to keep these things yeah. um yeah Jason, do you find often the leadership team don't truly sit there and analyze the capabilities and, uh, and, and and front up to the difficult decision, we're not skilled enough perhaps to execute this part of the transformation program? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, you know, transformation programs hopefully don't come come along every year or so. You know, we, we'd hope that you only need to truly transform every kind of maybe five, ten, fifteen years. Um, but you know, that pace of change is is is, is increasing. Mm. Um, but I think there's a there's no real understanding in most operational functions about well, what are the skills and competencies and capabilities we need? If we're delivering this program of, of change, what are the roles that, that, that we need? And then who are the best people to fulfill those roles? And kind of unsurprisingly, 
um, you know, in the programs that have um, identified, say, process owners, and hopefully all transformation programs do identify process owners, sadly, not all of them do. Um, but if they do, what, what are the attributes that somebody needs to be an effective process owner? Um, and when you think it through, you're actually asking somebody to become a system engineer. Uh, and they need to think through this complex interaction of technology systems, of people, of human factors of behavior, uh, of processes, and all that coming together to take a, a set of inputs into a set of outputs and outcomes and hopefully business benefits. That's a really complex thing to do. And they're having to do that as a process owner whilst interacting with other process owners as everything else is changing at the same time with a set of people who are worried about their jobs, um, unsure about how things are going to work out, whether you know they're, they're going to even be in the organization in six or 12 months' time. That's a really challenging role. Um, and a lot of the time, we take our best operational people who are great at making sure the operation runs effectively and putting them in that architecting role and that change leadership role, yeah. and we don't give them any of the tools yeah. or the skills or the knowledge, uh, and we don't even allow them enough time to go and get some experience by talking to other companies about seeing you know, who, who's done what. And it's kind of, you know, these are critical roles, and it's kind of no surprise that when you put these people under pressure, and worst case scenario, you don't even backfill their day job. You know, you put them under pressure, especially if it's a, a fast-paced cloud implementation, and they have to make decision after decision after decision without full understanding of what the impacts of those things are going to be. Um, so, yeah, it's... I, I, I see a gulf as well where... Um, you've got at the senior leadership team as amazing resources and, and networks and forums and, you know, put my hand up to, that's partly my fault, to, to, to find and discover that information. At the bottom end, uh, and, and I don't mean it disrespectfully, there's huge resources, you know, for, for the coding and those sort of, you know, you can skill yourself in a in Java or any, any language and there's great resources there in the middle, as you say, to actually deliver business-wide programs where you're going to need a bit of the knowledge of both. There's nothing for those people, is there? It's, uh, there's, there's nothing supplying them yeah, yeah. until this podcast came along. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, there's, uh, well, that's, you know, one of the, one of the main reasons why, why we set up the podcast. So yeah. thank you for that. Um, but, but also one of the kind of practical things that, that we do in, in any program is during the scoping phase is we spend time setting up roundtable discussions and going out to other organizations uh, doing site visits and case studies and those sorts of things with with the the, the team of people that are going to be accountable for right. making these decisions. But you know, setting up roundtables wherever we can by bringing other people from other organisations that are midway through a transformation, just starting, they're kind of two years post transformation, and it's a, a closed. Uh, you know, uh, Chatham House rules. Safe space. Yeah, yeah, safe space. There's no suppliers. No one's trying to sell you anything. Mm. Just be honest. And, uh, you know, sort of people will stand out, present and talk about their experiences and then kind of have a, have a discussion around the Because in interestingly, you'll do that to buy the technology, won't you, the kit, but actually the implementation and the business change, as you say, the, apart from what you guys are doing, no one actually offers that, do they, in terms of actually discovering... What are the bumps in the road that you will you will undergo as you move perhaps to being a cloud native business or, or whatever business change that you're driving forward? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the technology is the easy bit. It really yeah. is, uh, especially now. Where, where, you know, it's absolutely. it's configuration rather than having to worry too much about coding or databases yeah. or the kind of uh, plumbing. Yeah. yeah. And transformation programs are often hyped as being a disruptive force. Uh, in normal circumstances, disruption is negative. Uh, the modern enterprise needs both an ability to transform disrupt itself but shareholders investors customers employees they need to know there's good governance in place but governance has become to has become to get a bit of an image of being a blocker for transformation projects how do you in in, in the projects you guys work on balance that being transformative but also a good governance and and, and satisfy your your wider stakeholders yeah, no, the governance, the right governance in the programs is again is critical. Um, in in every program we we run, we we absolutely almost dictate that we need to have um, an operational sort of steering committee. Um, so we get two levels: there's an operational steering committee and there's an executive executive steering committee. And the operational steering committee is is the place where actually some a lot of the design decisions get tested and the, the group of people that sit within that that um, governance um, meeting or that, that governance team are people from uh, across the business people that have got a stake in um, in more that function be it finance be it HR procurement IT are, are trying to to design they're the individuals that are going to um, to, to validate and prove that actually what, you, what you've designed in a dark room potentially is going to be fit for purpose for, for my function. Um, so these are the, the, these are the individuals, again, senior individuals in your, within your organization that will validate and approve whatever the program's trying to do. And then you've got your execu executive steering committee with where, the, where the sponsor is at. Um, and these, these are the individuals that are going to unlock, unblock any uh, issues uh, across the organization. And again, it has to be multifunctional. The individuals sitting sitting in an executive steering committee um, need to have an absolute stake in what um, the, uh, the program's trying um, to deliver. We've seen examples in the past um, where the executive steering committee is the entire exec. Again, you know, I think we need to sort of be sensible about who takes part. Um, it needs to be individuals that are going to make uh, decisions, keeping the, the group fairly sort of small and relevant to the program that you're trying to do. So it's never a blocker. Um, it's, it's if used in the right way, it's the one mechanism that you put in place that's going to drive your program through to a, a successful completion. And before beginning a transformation, should you choose a methodology? There's lots of talk about Agile, Kanban, Lean, even Waterfall. Um, how important is it to choose those? Do you choose one or, or do you slice and dice them to suit your organization? I think it depends on what's in scope um, of, of the transformation. You need that overarching um, program or portfolio methodology that's going to drive the overall outcomes and benefits and and that choice between program or portfolio is going to be you know time scope and complexity but within the individual projects um, you can cope with a degree of, of flexibility on how they're going to be delivered um, so uh, you know the the majority now are Agile-ish, um, so you know they're not truly agile. Um, you know we're not 
in, in a lot of cases doing primary you know software development from bits and bytes and really building things from the ground up a lot of it is uh, from a technology standpoint it's software as a service so it tends to be uh, iterative prototyping um, so that has to fit into an overall program methodology if all you do is focus on implementing the technology then unsurprisingly you don't get the outcomes you don't get the benefits that, that you really need and and being clear i think about we're using methodology x for this part of the program y for this part we've got the right project managers with the right skills and and competencies in in those uh in those particular methodologies and we're tying it together with a really well-structured program approach and if we need to a portfolio sitting above that so yeah mix and match absolutely uh, but also really understand you know is this an organization that has a program management philosophy you know are, are they ipma are they you know a prince or an msp mm. house you know really talking the language of the business is is essential because if execs are used to sitting in you know, red reviews or you know any you know any sort of you know program review uh, then really speak that language use the formats use the templates don't come up with something entirely new just just because you know for the sake of it you know talk, talk to the business and the language it understands and we began our conversation uh, talking about the value and the importance of the sponsor how important is it the sponsor is experienced and very comfortable uh, with that the methodology or the elements of methodologies that you use that they have to they have to be um because ultimately they're driving the program through um, its duration and against um, a backdrop of or whatever toolkits, whatever methodology the business is, is using. So the sponsor is having um, corridor conversations with its colleague, its members of the exec. Um, so they, the sponsor has to speak the language, like Jason just outlined. They have to speak the same language that the business is used to and the same terminology. And I think one of the other things that um, actually uh, if an organization is considering implementing or delivering a transformation without any form of, of, of methodology, they really need to think twice about it. Because one of the things that that I think um, that we think any a methodology brings is a, just a little bit of structure to what you're trying to achieve. Instead of like seeming a little bit chaotic, it just gives you almost like a step-by-step uh, approach about, about about what you're trying to do. And it, it also provides the program team or members of the, the organization um, a bit of visibility of what's likely to come next. Um, and and that, that helps both the program and the business. And lastly, what is your advice to CIOs and CTOs on how to measure the success, uh, the investment decisions during a transformation program, which more often than not now is iterative and and, and breaking things up into pieces? How, how do you go about measuring and helping your clients measure? Yeah. So in in terms of um, in terms of the the, the business case, I mean, firstly, have a business case. That's often good. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we've been involved now in a number of. Um, uh, uh, What's the word? Programs, projects, initiatives. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I was thinking. PPIs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was thinking more uh, remediation programs. Yes. I was thinking of a polite term to use. Um, it, it's surprising when you're kind of going in to turn something around. Just how many of those don't really have a business case, um, and what was created has a set of assumptions in it that you know. That, that what they were based on at the time, who knows? Um, but uh, I think with 
with a, a straightforward project, you can be pretty much, you know, hard cost savings, you know, increase in revenue, whatever it's going to be, and very kind of factual. I think with the transformation, it's got to be a lot more than that. You've got to think strategically, you know, how is this going to enable us getting from A to B? Uh, and as much as possible, how do we then draw value benefits out of that, which can then be quantified? So, uh, you know, there a lot, a lot of... Um, a lot of HR business cases, I'll say, um, are quite fluffy. Um, you know, it's oh, we're going to have a, we're going to improve this, and we'll have less of that, and there's no real numbers behind it. Uh, and if there are numbers and they are quantified, there's actually limited, you know, dollar, pound, euro value attached to to, to those numbers. So actually, working with uh, the finance team, uh, you know, a really strong financial controller to um, challenge to to you know put rigor to those numbers and really be clear about the KPIs that that we're going to measure during you know uh, both during the program but really afterwards you know what how we're going to measure benefits uh, and making sure that uh, the the sponsor holds themselves to account for delivering those 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 changes and those outcomes. But you're absolutely right. You you never you never get it right in phase one. Mm. You know you 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 move things forward. You put the infrastructure in. It's better. Things change. But you know the, a true transformation is a two, three, four year journey of big change program at the start, and then maybe a smaller program. Then maybe some projects. Then maybe some continuous improvement work. And and you need that iterative cycle. But yeah, having that real clarity on the original business case defining a, a, a balanced scorecard of metrics that you're going to use to, to measure the performance of the function, not the program, but the function, and using that to dr drive future decision-making around, you know, what's the scope, what do we need to do next? And that's really to, to the point earlier. If, if you deliver a transformation program and all that program management, project management, design thinking, uh, all, all that kind of functional expertise walks out the door and you're left with your operational team and, and no ability to affect change, then you know what, your transformation isn't going to be successful. And you measure all you like, it's not going to be successful. Jason West and Joe Ailes, thank you for joining the Horizon CIO podcast. If the CIO is wanting to read your transformation checklist paper, uh, where would they access that? Um, so they can uh, find it on our website, uh, so www.underscore-group.com, and there's a section there for um, white papers and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, and we regularly post uh, excerpts on, on LinkedIn, so uh, please you know, drop us a line on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. If you enjoy the CIO podcast, please do rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you for listening and let us know your thoughts. Contact me, Mark Chillingworth, on LinkedIn or Twitter or join the UK's largest CIO WhatsApp group. Thank you for listening.